Cyber espionage and hacking campaigns have become a key component of the hidden world of international statecraft. But while we often hear about threats originating from Russia, China and North Korea, there's another country with a growing reputation for conducting hacking campaigns. I'm Danny Palmer, this is ZDNet Security Update, and with me to discuss cyber threats emanating from Iran is Rafe Pilling, Senior Security Researcher at SecureWorks. Thanks for joining me. First of all, uh, how did Iran first emerge as a cyber threat over the last decade or so? Uh, good question, and, and thanks for having me on today, Danny. It's, uh, it's great to be here. So the Iranian cyber capability um, evolved out of their sort of patriotic hacker community, uh, if you could call it that. So we have a, a group of, um, of probably relatively young people uh, conducting sort of defacement activity just um, uh, off their own sort of motivation. There are disputes uh, within the Middle East and, and they're sort of conducting defacement campaigns to support that kind of, um, to, to further their cause in, in that sense. And also for personal kudos. Uh, they had a fairly active uh, security community based around forums. Um, there was a lot of uh, tool development uh, going on. And around the sort of 2009, 2010 period, uh, there were some events occurring in Iran uh, involving cyber capabilities deployed against them, which might have acted as a sort of a, an impetus for them to sort of up their game. And since that time, they have been sort of evolving that capability, um, coming on in leaps and bounds, really, and uh, are certainly one of the sort of top four um, users of, of uh, offensive cyber activity these days. Uh, as part of their, um, I guess, their, their sort of arsenal of uh, uh, capabilities to um, make their presence felt to, to sort of further foreign policy, uh, that kind of thing. In terms of, yeah, the motivations behind these attacks, you mentioned foreign policy there. I mean, is, it, is that just the, the motivation behind this or are there other things driving the uh, state-backed or arm's length state-backed hacking scene in Iran? So it's interesting to say, you say arm's length as well. Um, historically, Iran has always conducted, or historically, in the last sort of 20 or so years perhaps, uh, conducted um, warfare through proxies, whether that's sort of proxy slash terrorist organizations or made up sort of online personas that seem to emerge uh, in the wake of a, a particular attack and then, and then sort of disappear as quickly as they, uh, they appeared. So they often often act through these proxy forces. You have a similar sort of model there. It's it's hard to know exactly how things uh, work over there, but we certainly suspect that there was an evolution of these um, these patriotic hackers moving into more sort of legitimate security companies and then taking perhaps contracts, perhaps less formal than that, uh, work opportunities on behalf of the government, and then their capabilities are directed uh, in that sense. So so they. Um, provide a variety of functions. Uh, there is definitely a, a domestic monitoring capability, so um, sort of politically driven uh, monitoring of, um, uh, of, of political views that they, they find um, uh, contrary to their own. And that there is a sort of uh, definitely some internal schisms. So you may find that those, those parties, uh, sorry, those capabilities are even being deployed by different arms of government against other arms of government, uh, as well as the population. Then you have the sort of monitoring and surveillance of the Iranian diaspora, so people around the world uh, that are, um, you know, maybe have drawn the interest of Iran for one reason or another. 
Uh, and then obviously you have um, sort of responses to attacks in, in the Middle East, uh, or not responses to attacks, sorry, but responses to sort of uh, things that they find as in incitements of, of some kind. Uh, so we have some of the wiper attacks, for example, that we've seen, generally speaking, after um, events that Iran finds um, objectionable, and they're, they're using that to sort of, um, again, via some sort of proxy, semi-deniable uh, persona, but it becomes quite clear where that sort of traces back to. So what are some of the main uh, techniques and tactics that uh, these campaigns use? I mean, you've touched on wiper campaigns, but there's also various uh, phishing campaigns that have been uh, linked to Iran over the years, be they targeting individuals or whole organizations. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So uh, Iranian groups of which we track uh, sort of in excess of 21 clusters of different uh, Iranian threat group activity uh, runs the full gamut of, of techniques. So phishing is heavily used. Uh, there are groups that seem to sort of predominantly rely on phishing in order to get credentials, to gain access to networks or, or email accounts. So that's a big one, gaining access to uh, Gmail, Yahoo, uh, that kind of thing, accounts of, of targets of interest. Then there is, um, I mean, everything really, scan and exploit activity. We sort of see a lot of password spraying activity where this is, um, they're trying to use a small list of passwords against a large volume of accounts at a particular target. Uh, and just run through that until they get in and that that has a degree of success uh, we've seen dns hijacking um, there's a lot of custom malware development uh, comes out of iran um, i mean anything anything really and they um, they seem to take a lot of inspiration from um, open source sort of offensive security tools frameworks that are put out for red teams to use uh, they will sort of pick those up and use them uh, they will take um, any other tools. So we had the sort of shadow broker suite of tools that was released. Uh, that was then picked up by, by several Iranian groups and, and used um, some of the sort of eternal blue uh, exploits and others from that, that suite of exploits. Uh, so yeah, they're really trying to think, uh, which is uh, it's just why they're, they're an interesting sort of um, uh, set of groups to, to watch, even if you don't think you're going to be directly a target. Uh, if you can defend against the sort of tradecraft that they use, uh, you're probably in a good stead to, to deal with most um, uh, most cyber threats. And we saw uh, last year Iranian hacking groups hit the headlines because uh, it, they were called out essentially for targeting um, academic institutions here in the UK with phishing attacks. And it just goes to show that uh, their campaigns are getting more ambitious, but as they're getting more ambitious, they're perhaps not hiding their tracks as, as well as they might like. Yeah, yeah. So this was um, a serious campaign has been going for quite a long time. So Cobalt Dickens, uh, we, we call this group, uh, this cluster. Um, there was indictments related to um, a particular set of individuals uh, and activities associated with the, the Mapna Institute. And we believe this is the same it's a continuation of that, that same activity uh, that was called out. And yeah, so that's an interesting one. It, it looks like the intent there is to gain access to academic resources uh, in order to um, sort of circumvent some of the sanctions that have been placed on them that prevent them accessing those, those resources legitimately perhaps. Um, and certainly there'll be, you know, that will be linked to both sort of universities there as well as potential sort of um, uh, links to the military and, and government uh, that were called out in the, the FBI indictments. Um, but yeah, exactly. So we have academic targeting, um, as well as all the sort of uh, targeting of 
diplomatic, um, military type entities, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, then we see sort of tech companies getting targeted. Uh, there are very few sectors that really aren't untouched uh, in one way or another. Um, they won't all be sort of followed up on to the same degree and uh, as um, they won't all be as important uh, to the Iranian regime, but it's quite difficult to sort of assess who will be uh, a target uh, of these campaigns. And how has Iranian activity uh, developed during 2020? Obviously, there's been some major events uh, throughout this year, but thinking back to January, there was um, a, a high-profile assassination of, of, of an Iranian general. Did that have any impact on how uh, Iran started uh, conducting itself in, in the cyber world uh, at the start of this year? And how has Iranian activity altered as the years moved on and the world faced things like coronavirus and other threats? So that was definitely a concern at the time it happened. There was an expectation uh, from, uh, well, there was a lot of concern, let's say, from um, uh, customers that, that this would kick off sort of a round of, of destructive attacks, perhaps focused on the US. Uh, in sort of 2013, 2014, we saw uh, the, the DDoS capabilities being deployed against U.S. financial institutions. There was some expectation that that, that might be resurrected. Uh, on the other hand, we um, we counseled that that we didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, not least because the the action itself was um, was a sort of a military strike. Uh, it's the sort of thing that would call for a, a military response. And in fact, we did see one. Um, uh, a period of time later with these sort of missile bombardments of US bases in Iraq. I think the, the response may have been slightly tempered around sort of uh, A, because of the, the downing of the, um, the Iranian jetliner during uh, the sort of immediate aftermath of that, um, that strike. And I think that very quickly sort of changed the tide of both international opinion, but also sort of domestic opinion uh, within Iran. And they, they had to sort of change tack uh, quite quickly there. Uh, so there was a response um, in a military sense. We didn't see a spike in, uh, in cyber activity. We saw continuation of existing campaigns from established groups, um, activity that we'd seen starting before the, the strike occurred and then continued uh, after the fact. During, 29, uh, sorry, during 2020, we, um, it, it is always hard to say. Uh, it, Anecdotally, it seems like there was a, a dip, uh, certainly in some months, of, uh, of activity. Um, we have certainly uh, seen activity throughout sort of 2019. There were some um, campaigns from a group we call Cobalt Fox Club uh, in January. So this is um, also known as sort of Fox Kitten or Pioneer Kitten, I believe. Uh, they like to use VPN vulnerabilities quite quickly after they're released. Uh, so back then it was the CB 2019-19781 uh, vulnerability that they were exploiting, uh, Citrix uh, Netscaler vulnerability, getting into, um, we're exploiting that, dropping a web shell, and then using that to sort of come back and access the network later. Uh, we then recently saw very much the same sort of pattern, but using the, um, the F5 uh, big IP vulnerability, CB 2020-5902, but with the same sort of pattern of activity, and it's almost potentially the case that they are um, uh, using these vulnerabilities in, in a sort of a spray and pray fashion, just hitting as many uh, vulnerable entities as they can find, deploying these web shells, and then coming back afterwards to triage uh, what access they've gained 
through that sort of campaign. So it highlights two things. First of all, uh, there are threat groups out there that will very quickly uh, pick up on proof of concept exploits and, and put those into their um, their campaign, add them to their sort of campaigns. Um, there's also this kind of opportunistic element of it. So if you if you happen to be vulnerable to that um, exploit, you may end up uh, with an Iranian actor on your network for no other reason than you are vulnerable. And then later on, they'll decide what, what they're going to do with you. Are they going to use you for infrastructure? Um, you know, is there a potential monetization opportunity? Uh, and that, that's something else we see is that certainly groups that look like they are sort of maybe commercial entities or, or private sector entities working on behalf of the government, you may find people conducting sort of side jobs um, for their own personal gain, as well as whatever the kind of contractual um, task was. So how does Iranian activity compare to other nations uh, that we often hear about as cyber threat actors? Uh, they definitely have their own sort of uh, style. Uh, we don't see the same level of uh, sophistication with Iran as we might with some of the high-end capabilities from, from Russia or China. Uh, that said, we did have a case where or um, it appears that two tools, Neuron and Nautilus, uh, were taken uh, by Russian uh, hackers, state-affiliated hackers, and used for an extended period of time uh, to the extent that it was believed that those tools were Russian tools, uh, and it uh, was later um, uh, disclosed by the, the UK's NCSC that, in fact, uh, they believe those tools came from Iran originally uh, and were, were sort of taken and used by, by Russian groups. And at the time, everyone thought those, those tools were sort of plausibly Russian, um, so demonstrated sort of uh, some of the, um, the better end of the, the sort of tool spectrum of, of, that Iran can put out. Um, and then obviously they're, well, so they're probably in a, a, I guess, a middle ground position between sort of Russia and China, which do use their uh, capabilities for, for sort of espionage, um, to some extent to um, vent frustration. So we've seen some, some wiper attacks that have been attributed to Russian groups, things like Olympic Destroyer, likely linked to um, displeasure of being excluded from, uh, from the Olympics in, in South Korea. Um, but generally speaking, Russia and China have sort of uh, diplomatic economic ties with the, the rest of the world. And so the use of cyber capabilities is calibrated uh, against uh, some of the other sort of um, capabilities they have and also sort of, uh, you know, potential weak points that they have. North Korea is at the other end of the spectrum, so it doesn't, doesn't have good diplomatic relations with anyone, really. It uh, doesn't have um, economic relations. It doesn't have a good sort of economy. doesn't really have a lot to lose, and so they, they lean heavily on the, uh, their cyber program and their nuclear program in order to keep themselves relevant, uh, keep the sort of focus and attention on them, and try and sort of use that as a, a bargaining chip on the international stage. Um, obviously, they heavily use espionage for... Um, sort of science and technology, uh, information theft, uh, monitoring of, um, of sort of North Korean defectors and, uh, and other people of interest, uh, but also as a revenue stream. Um, and they have also demonstrated they're more than willing to sort of launch uh, destructive attacks. Uh, and Iran is, is probably somewhere in the middle. You know, they, they have, um, they definitely have a lot of uh, sort of domestic concerns. Um, they do want to be considered sort of a 
a sort of a relevant country on the international stage, particularly sort of in the Middle East. Uh, and so they they do use cyber capabilities heavily, um, but again, they're, they're calibrated uh, to a certain degree. So most of the, the wiper attacks we've seen, for example, have been against their sort of near neighbors in the Middle East, uh, particularly against sort of um, Saudi Arabia. Uh, if they were to do that elsewhere, uh, there might be a sort of a different response and, and they kind of um, recognize that, I think, and, and walk the line carefully. Obviously, there have been some outliers uh, to that where wiping incidents have been conducted against sort of uh, in, in the US and things like that, but it's a rare, rare occasion versus seeing those capabilities deployed in the Middle East. You mentioned how uh, many of these Iranian campaigns are somewhat opportunistic. So what should organizations be doing to ensure their network is secure so they don't fall victim to one of these attacks just because they're potentially open to one? Uh, great question. Um, and, and that's again where the sort of gamut of, of tradecraft comes in. So from a phishing perspective, it's your normal sort of email filtering. It's um, running phishing awareness campaigns within the organization, make sure that employees are, are regularly sort of reminded of the threat of phishing activity. And that covers a whole range of cyber threats as well. It's not, not just Iranian groups. Um, it's potentially the number one means of, um, of gaining access to an organization these days. Uh, although there are some things that are helping sort of fuel a drop off in that. So multi-factor authentication uh, is a big one. Even if uh, your employees do have their credentials phished, having multi-factor authentication uh, requiring that sort of second or more um, factor can render those credentials useless even if they are taken um, and certainly make it more difficult to, uh, for a threat actor to gain access to an account, particularly if it's sort of uh, from a, a cloud service provider. Yeah, increasingly we see organizations using cloud services and you become sort of one password away from uh, compromise of not just email but potentially significant amount of corporate data. So in those sort of environments, multi-factor authentication is an absolute must. Uh, I think Microsoft released a, a report saying something like your 99.9% um, uh, .9 of the uh, cases of phishing that they, they observed uh, were against accounts that didn't have multi-factor authentication enabled. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, huge win. Uh, then we have uh, approaches via social media. So perhaps more than, than any other nation, um, Iran likes to use social media to, to approach targets, uh, whether that be LinkedIn, Facebook, um, engaging conversations via WhatsApp. We had a, a very interesting case study a few years back uh, relating to a, a persona called Mia Ash that was uh, contacting um, uh, a target, generate sort of gaining a relationship with uh, an employee at that, um, at that company, and then use that to try and get malware into the organization by you know, a pretense they had to um, answer this survey and, and they should do it at their office because it will run better on the, the corporate systems. So they will use the, the sort of full gamut of social media uh, to try and deliver malware into their targets. Um, then we've seen some of the more interesting capabilities around sort of DNS hijacking and some of that can be, be more difficult to uh, defend against. Um, but certainly uh, phishing, social media, uh, patching your perimeter, um, the scan and exploit activity we talked about, it's also very common. Um, password spraying, common, and that helps get mitigated by multi-factor authentication. Those are some of the big ways that uh, Iranian actors and plenty of other groups uh, will attempt to get into networks.
That's some really great advice, Ray. Thanks for joining me. It's a, certainly a, a very interesting subject area and there's more to, uh, you know, if, if you want to find out more about this sort of thing, be sure to uh, check out ZDNet where there is a case study which I wrote on the Mia Ash campaign from three years ago. So uh, that's there if you want to check it out. Um, thanks for watching ZDNet Security Update. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you.